Welcome to Episode 6 of the Pilot's Journey Podcast. My name is Stuart Stevenson, Pilot Stu, a private pilot in North Dallas. And my name is Stuart Stoll, a.k.a. CFI Stu, a certified flight instructor in Fort Worth, Texas. Our guest this episode is Bill Williams of the Student Pilot Cast. Welcome, Bill. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. This is going to be the Oshkosh uh, recap because Stuart Stevenson got to go and I didn't, and I'm really jealous. And uh, Stuart, please be easy on me during this podcast as you talk about Oshkosh. Well, Bill and I were talking earlier, and the uh, the goal of this podcast is specifically to get you to Oshkosh next year. Okay. Well, please do your best. <laughs> we certainly will. Well, this was my first time to experience all that is Air Venture. Uh, Bill, was this your first time as well? Uh, no, this was uh, my second year. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to miss it again. But uh, uh, I got uh, I started training last year. That would have been uh, 08, in the spring of 08. And I got my uh, license. Uh, I did my check ride literally hours, hours before I got on the plane to go to my first Oshkosh. So while I've been interested in aviation for um, most of my life, uh, I, I had never gotten around to finishing my license, and I had never um, uh, made it to Oshkosh. I always lived in the West or, or overseas, and so I've never had a chance to go. But I, I couldn't resist um, the the offers and the beckoning of the other uh, new media folks who were all, you know, gathering at Oshkosh uh, last year in 08. So I decided to go and, and barely got, by the skin of my teeth, got my uh, my check ride done. Um, I went straight from the airport. I had my wife actually pick me up um, at the uh, small airport in Chandler, uh, the regional airport where I uh, where I did my check ride. She picked me up from there. I already had my bags packed, and she took me directly to Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport where I flew out commercially to Milwaukee. So that's how close it was. But um, But that was my first one, and so this was my second year. What's changed from last year to this year? Well, um, I, I think the biggest change for me personally was I, I sort of knew what to expect, <laughs> which is um, which is hard to it, it's hard to convey to somebody who hasn't been what it's going to be like, how big it is, um, how much there is to see, um, it, how little time you're going to have, even if you're going to be there all week. So. You know, people had told me that, but it, it's very difficult to convey that until you've been. And so I think that was probably the biggest difference for me is that I sort of knew what to expect. And I, I didn't feel quite as overwhelmed this year because I resigned myself to the fact I wasn't going to get to see it all. And as a matter of fact, I, I saw a lot less of the show this year than I actually did last year, um, even though I was I was there for at least as long as I was last year. Um but that was the biggest difference is I kind of knew what to expect and, and where I was going to focus. That's amazing because that's exactly how I felt. This is my first year. I was there five days, and it was the you know, the fire hose trying to drink from it. Yeah. Uh, I, I just felt constantly rushed um, everywhere. There was always three or four things going on at any point in time that I wanted to be at and see, and just you just can't do it. Yeah, and Stu, you and I were talking a little bit earlier today and kind of uh, – um, you know, asking about what what did you see and what did I see and so on, and and it was clear that um, there were a lot of things that one or the other of us saw that did not overlap, even though we were both there for you know full five days. So um, it, it's big, it's big, and it's it's 
you know, it's hard, it's hard to get that across until you've been. All right. So, okay. So Stuart, cause I plan on going next year that's the goal, right? So, All what right. You, right. It, it will happen. Yeah. It will happen. Okay. What did you, what do you recommend for me or what did you learn from your first time experiences that we, you would change next, next year going? Uh, plan more time for the ad hoc stuff, not just the forums. I mean, the forums were great. I mean, everything, I learned how to TIG weld. Uh, I never thought I wanted to know how to TIG weld, but it was fun. Um, <laughs> TIG weld? I attended uh, TIG weld. Um, I, I learned a little bit about how to uh, do the tube and fabric doping. I learned uh, a bunch of stuff in the forums, and they were fantastic. But that's not the big part. The big part is... Uh, Getting to know the people, particularly if you're involved in new media like you are, that uh, you know you're active in Twitter and on the forums of various websites. Uh, there's all these people that you know by their their tweet name that you actually get to talk to and meet. And there were probably, I'd say, easily uh, a dozen to twenty people like that. That as soon as I realized who they were, there's like a long lost friend, even though we've never seen each other before. Huh, okay. I don't know. I don't kind of not liking the idea of uh putting a face to some of my some of these <laughs> online names that I now now it gets personal. <laughs> well, there are a few that probably would have been better left uh in the the, the imagination, but uh for the most part they, they they were good. Right, and you know who you are. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's Yeah, cool. that 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 is um that's an important point, Stuart. That that you made that, um, you know, it's, it, it's a lot about meeting the people. I actually, my, uh, my last audio release on my podcast, um, was exactly that. It was a quick story around the, around the campsite from, uh, somebody I'd never met in person before. Um, and that was the title of that episode was it's about the people. And you hear that a lot from, um, a lot of different people. <laughs> that that's what Oshkosh really is, but uh, that's really what it what it is, and that was a big difference between last year and this year. And last year, yeah, I had never met any pe- any people that were at Oshkosh face to face. This year, going back, I I already knew a lot of people, and I anticipated meeting so many more. And I spent most of my time, um, you know, hanging out with people, um, people that seemed like, like you said, like uh, old friends and people who were old friends from last year. So uh, it's definitely the the most important and most gratifying part is that we all get to gather. We all have a, um, an interest in the same things. We all get to gather and, and hang out for uh, for a week. I would like to say this about the aviation community really quick while I'm thinking about it because I know I'm going to forget this, but a point of how I've noticed how this aviation community is, is that there's actually two sides to it. And uh, the aviation community in, in Twitter, I noticed, is part of the really good side. And it sounds like that's the part that's at Oshkosh, too. Uh, I've noticed, in addition to that, there's kind of, from work, as a CFI, I noticed that some of the, the professional uh, side of the industry, um, there's a lot of elitism and and stuff I won't get into, but there's some disappointment there in that community that I'm not really enjoying so much. But uh, these, this sounds like the people that you want to meet in this community, in the aviation community, is all at uh, at Oshkosh. That's a really good way to put it, Stu. That's yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it's it's the people you want to be with. Exactly. Yeah, and it would help if they had, you know a King Air that they needed someone to fly with them in. But 
But yeah, definitely. I, oh man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe you guys are. You guys maybe succeeding in your goal tonight. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, think about um, uh, Stu. When you and I were, for instance, at the my transponder party on Thursday night, um, there were people that we were kind of hanging out with. That uh, and most most people who are in uh, new media know most of these folks. But um, you know, Jetwine was there. Really great guy. Um, he, he flew. He actually flew, didn't fly in. He sat left seat and flew the Airbus A380 uh, over in France uh, a few months ago. Um, you know, there's a guy that's sort of, um, um, you know, done a <laughs> done a lot of things that a lot of other people in general general aviation won't ever get a chance to do. Um, a except lot, Steve Tupper. Except Steve Tupper, yeah, he'll probably do it. And then you've got well, Steve Tupper. He was there, and you know he's done a lot of great things. And then there's the there's the guy like me who's flown a couple of Warriors and a few different Cessnas, you know. And then there's, I mean, you get the whole gamut. But we're all there for the same reasons because we love aviation, and we love the people. In aviation, one of my tweets actually, while I was there, I think said something to the effect of "pilots rule," and that's all it said because I was hanging out with this group of people that are just awesome, and you just want to be there, and that's you know that's what's going to bring me back every year. Sweet. Did you stay in the campgrounds or were you uh, offsite? Uh, no, my uh, I set up camp right there uh, in the my transponder camp, um, so my tent was actually right behind the the big RV. Okay. Uh, I, I stayed off-site at a hotel in Appleton, which um, for first time is probably good because it's a little, little overwhelming, I think. <laughs> but um, I, I'm set for the campgrounds next year. Yeah. I, rented the RV, I reserved the RV, so I'll be there in a room for uh, five other people plus camping ground outside. So You're going to uh, drive an RV all the way from Texas, huh? No, no, I'm picking it up in Milwaukee. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. Smart. Now, the question will be whether I fly to Milwaukee and pick it up or whether I uh, <laughs> go commercial again. <laughs> well, I, uh, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm in a uh, an owner, a uh, an equity flying club. And um, I just reserved one of our 182s for that for the time next year. So I may make my first cross country cross country. Um, if you don't know, I'm based in Phoenix. And so that's a that's a long flight. Um, so we'll see what happens, but uh, I reserved it in case I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm ready to do it. So, well, will you fly? Do you think into Oshkosh itself to Whitman, or will you go to uh, Appleton? No, I'll, if, if I can get there early enough to where they don't close camping, I'll be flying into Oshkosh. I actually did it last year with Kent Shook from uh, the Pilot Cast. Um, he picked me up in Milwaukee after I flew there commercially, and we flew in together in his 182 uh, from his club and. Um, so that was my first experience at Oshkosh and also my first experience flying in. And let me tell you, it was awesome. Um, it was very cool how the approach works and, uh, you know, the controllers are great. Uh, tons of planes coming in. Um, as everybody knows, it's the busiest airport in the world for that week. Uh, more operations than anywhere else. And, uh, so then later in the week, we went and picked somebody else up. So I got to do that uh, that approach and a departure from Oshkosh while I was there last year, and it was it was really cool to see that. And uh, I think you know I'm hoping that I'll have enough experience where I'll where I will feel comfortable doing that. Um, you know, uh, next year. If not, I'll you know I'll give the plane to somebody else and uh, you know figure out a different way to get there. But uh, I'm hoping that I will. Well, I think the first time I fly in, I want to fly in with someone who's done it before. But uh, you've already had that experience, so I think you're ready for it. 
Well, we'll see. We'll see. But you're right. It is, it is something that's, uh, probably best experienced first when you're not PIC, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. I mean, if you, if you read and basically memorize the NOTAM, it's, it's really not that complicated. You just have to keep your head on a swivel and do what the NOTAM says exactly. Know exactly what your options are going to be and what they're going to have you do. And, uh, as long as you know that and you've really read through it, it's really not that hard to do. Spot landing, um, you know, you should be able to do that anyway. So, you know, they have you land. Uh, if you don't know, they, they have colored dots on the runway. And when, when you're cleared to land, you're cleared to land on a dot. And, uh, there may be somebody else landing long ahead of you on another dot. So you got to keep it close to where they say to land. It's like poetry watching that happen. Oh, it's cool. It's, it's cool. <laughs> and those controllers are awesome. Best of the best. If they did that anywhere else, any other time, it would be a career ending for them, but it's a, a real <laughs> yeah. achievement when they do it there. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I'm telling you, those guys know their airplanes. I mean, they've got binoculars, I think over at the Fisk area and they, you know, they've got a trailer over there and they kind of watch the planes lining up and, um, they look through those binoculars and I mean, think of all the different kinds of airplanes that are at Oshkosh and they almost always get it right. And it's really incredible. The whole the whole procedure is really incredible. A lot of experience in those guys. Yeah, definitely. Well, what are some of the things you saw at Oshkosh this year? Uh, I know that it's about the people, but the, the until you've been there, the, the airplanes are still the big draw. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> I don't have a specific area of aviation that um, that interests me the most necessarily. Um, I, I really get a kick out of the, the warbirds, but I also get a kick out of the, um, the new stuff. Um, I, I like, uh, the classic airplanes. Um, so I spend a little time walking around that area so more, more last year than this year, actually. Like I said, I had a lot less time to actually go and see things this year because I was spending more time with people, but, um, but, uh, you know, I really liked that. Um, I, really wanted to get over to the ultralight area and I never did um, this year. I, I kind of went by it last year, but not this year. And again, um, last year I went to the seaplane base, which I thought was extremely cool, but I wasn't able to make it there this year. Um, some of the things I saw um, that I really liked, um, obviously the, the A380 was there and it was gigantic. Uh, C5 Galaxy uh, was also there and it was also gigantic. It had two of the biggest planes in the world at Oshkosh and they were there in, uh, in, uh, Aeroshell Square and, um, you know, got to walk through the C5 and, and, I mean, it's just, you know, it's incredible. There was F-15, F-16s there. Very cool to walk right up and walk around them and, and check it out. Um, I enjoyed looking at the, um, uh, the light sport aircraft actually spent a little bit of time, you know, looking at some of those. I mean, there's, there's like a hundred of those things on the market now. And I've probably only seen in person, maybe a dozen of them, uh, maybe less, you know, whatever I saw at Oshkosh is pretty much all I've seen this year is pretty much all I've seen in person. Um, got to actually, uh, fly the Remos. Um, so, you know, thanks to the Remos folks for, for doing a media ride. I think you almost did, right? Stu? <laughs> well, I, I I came real close. I was strapped in, had my hand on the throttle, getting ready to yell clear prop when uh, White Knight 2 wanted to do a flyby, so they shut the airspace down. 
<laughs> well, it's it, it, I'll be I don't mind being bumped by Richard Branson. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's pretty cool that you get bumped by White Knight too. So or Eve, as it's being called now, I guess. Yeah, and it was fun to watch, particularly from Orion, where uh, Remo's uh, rep was based. That uh, we got to see it kind of an unusual angle there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was another cool thing to see. Was that was that double airplane i don't know how else to describe it but it's basically a, a double it's like a siamese twin airplane uh, it, it's the weirdest thing but uh it was really interesting to see that airplane too um, <laughs> double airplane it's, it's it's a very accurate description of that aircraft yes my my question is if you fly that uh two questions actually if you fly that do you get to double your hours or if you have one pilot in each one of those fuselages, can you both log PIC at the same time? I don't know. It's just a question. Hmm. <laughs> Boy, that's a time when you really want positive transfer of control, though. Yeah. <laughs> you have to really yell my controls <laughs> to make sure the other guy hears it. I don't even know. Do you guys know if if there's controls in both cockpits? I have. I, I heard that there was um, that, that Richard Branson was actually flying it from the left cockpit. But those aren't real windows. They're just painted on. Only the right side actually had windows in it. So I don't really know. It may have been right seat, but it sounded like it was right fuselage. Oh, those are painted huh. on? I had no idea that those were painted on. The right side is. So it looks just like the left side. Uh, here's a trivia question for you, Stu. Do you know why the uh, controls are on the left side instead of the right side? Um, no, I do not. It, it's so that you can pay at the drive-through window, isn't it? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Bert Rattan was doing the, uh, the the PA when it was doing its first flyby, and he was explaining that it, it it actually took some thought, but their decision was you still fly left seat. So if you're in the right fuselage, you can still see the left fuselage to get your bearings, and you're closer to not much, but you're closer to the center, so you still have a little more feel of being in the middle of the plane even though your other fuselage is 30 or 40 feet to your left. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's That's got to be a bizarre feeling to fly that plane. Yeah. Landing has got to be a, just a totally unique experience. I wonder where I can get my type rating for that. <laughs> I don't think there is one. No. Yet. Really? No. No, there, uh, there must be because uh, um, that's what Richard Branson was doing when he was there, right? He he got his – uh, right. He was getting he certified. For yeah, it. he was getting certified for it. So it must be some sort of an experimental type rating for that airplane. I don't know. Well, did you see the other jet that was kind of the talk of the uh, other end of the spectrum? The uh, oh, the, the Sonics, the, the Sonics jet. Um, I didn't yeah. actually get a chance to see that in person, but I have heard all about it and I've seen pictures. Did you see it, it Stu? I did. Um, it, it it looks just a, an awful lot like that little sailplane. Did you have a chance to see the the jet powered sailplane? I did. I I I totally want one now. <laughs> well, the Sonics looks an awful lot like that. The wing is more of a traditional uh, Sonics type wing, not as much of a sailplane wing, but the same type of engine. A, a very small, uh, it looks like a mini beer keg, really. Uh, yeah. Sitting on the back of the fuselage, and uh, it's single place. And they haven't flown the Sonics yet, but that that sailplane was just beautiful. Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. Who would have thought that that would have looked so cool? It just seemed so... Uh, Graceful. Yes, that's it. Some of the other planes I thought were particularly interesting were the uh, 
the shall we call them uh, rotable is the terrafusia <laughs> term, but the switchblade and the terrafusia both are designs that um, are meant to, to run on the streets as well as in the air. Yeah, and they had those things parked pretty close to each other on the grounds there. Well, the terrafusia actually is flown, where the switchblade was still a mock-up. Yep. Uh, but but it, at least the designs for the switchblade are really cool. It's a three-wheel versus a four-wheel, uh, and it has that... Um, the, the wings kind of lock down under the fuselage as opposed to folding up next to it like the Terrafusion. Right. Kind of locks them out of, way, out of the way. Um, do you know, uh, Stu, if uh, – obviously I saw the Terrafusion. I saw the, the – uh, at the time it was a mock-up last year. I saw it last year as well. Um, but I know that they have retired their test airplane and are uh, rebuilding it with the changes that they think they're going to need. Um, I imagine that it was the test airplane that they had there, so they must have trailered it in. Did you get a chance to talk to any of the guys over there? Uh, they did, and they actually drove it uh, a little bit on the grounds, not much, but they uh, they did not fly it. They yeah. Did, uh, they trailered it all the way from Massachusetts and then uh, drove it around a little bit of the grounds before the show. Uh, but... Other than that, it, it won't fly again is what they said. I believe it won't fly again, yeah. I think it's been completely retired. So um, it'll be interesting what they come up with in their uh, their second version. I think they're making two now for the flight testing. So uh, One of the other planes that caught my eye was, uh, you mentioned Remos, but in the their booth they had one that was on Ephemius floats out front. Yeah. Uh, it has not flown yet, but it's a really cool-looking aircraft. I agree. It was cool. Um, I, I don't have a seaplane rating. But I, I'm infatuated with seaplanes. I think it would be very cool to uh, to get that rating and fly them uh, someday, especially if you could do it somewhere sort of remote. I guess it's one of the reasons that I'm I'm enamored with the Icon light sport uh, aircraft because uh, uh, sort of it sort of uh, gives hope to that dream. I guess I have on my bucket list to go to Alaska to get a seaplane rating one day. <laughs> That'd be the perfect place to do it, wouldn't it? I also saw um, a plane that I was really looking forward to seeing. Uh, it's it's called the Saratoga NX, and um, what, what that is, I actually got a, a good interview from from those guys, and uh, I'm going to be running that on my feed. But uh, there's a a company, I believe, in Massachusetts named uh, called Nexair Avionics, and they you know they do a lot of. They have a full full service shop there. Um, they kind of focus on avionics, but they've they've taken um, they've they've taken this uh, idea. They're getting an STC for um, for what what they've done here with the NX, and they're taking Saratogas from 1980 to 1994, I think. So pretty much any of them, retractable or not, and um, they're completely refurbishing them from spinner to tail. Um, they're dropping in a zero-time factory remanufactured engine. They're repainting the whole thing. They're putting in a whole new interior. It's sort of uh, sports car-like. And um, one of the coolest parts is that they're um, that they're retrofitting it with the Avidyne Integra uh, Release 9 uh, system, the brand-new system from, from Avidyne uh, glass panel system and an STEC 55, I believe, autopilot, um, whole nine yards, um, a, a cooler for drinks and, you know, everything. Um, they're, they're doing this with an existing airframe. Uh, if you bring, if you bring a Saratoga, they'll do it for you. But that, but you can also just, uh, get on their waiting list for, uh, for an airplane, you know, directly from them. So you can get this basically a brand new airplane for under $400,000. Um, 
Um, it's a six place airplane, obviously. Um, they've got all of the Lepresti speed mods on it, uh, for the most part. So you basically get retract speeds out of a fixed gear. And if you do it, if you do get a, uh, a retract Saratoga, you get even better speeds out of that. Um, so it sounds like a, a really interesting concept and, um, makes it affordable to get what's basically a brand new airplane. Uh, well, I mean, let me rephrase that relatively affordable, um, <laughs> to get, to get a, what's basically a brand new airplane. Obviously, you know, $400,000 is a lot. I think 395 is, is, uh, what they're selling those for. It's a lot of money, but, but when you compare it to actual new airplanes, especially six seater airplanes, um, I, I think the only ones I know of right now are, um, the matrix, which of course is sort of a cabin class, but not pressurized. Um, and I think that's almost $900,000. And even if you look at some of the new four place airplanes out there from Cessna, um, with the glass panel and everything, you're still looking at at least that much, maybe more. Um, so it's, I think it's an interesting concept and I think it's that, that type of thing is going to continue to make it, um, you know, a little more approachable for, uh, for a lot of people. So I appreciate what they're doing and I'm, I'm really excited about that airplane. They, <laughs> and they did fly it in from, from the Boston area, um, to Oshkosh and, uh, uh, they had it open there for, so you could, you could go, you know, check it out. So it's great. There's a company in, uh, South Texas somewhere that does a, uh, that sort of, it's a different purpose, but that sort of STC on, uh, Skyline 182s. Oh. And it, I, I can't remember the name of it, but they specialize in uh, STAL, short takeoff and landing mods, as well as performance mods. And they add canards to the front, which looks really goofy. But, um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you can get incredibly short field performance from a 182, and you don't lose speed on the high end uh, through the performance mods they make. And they do the same thing where they'll buy used airframes, do the mods and the refinishing, and then uh, sell them as completed packages. And compared to the price of a new one, you get all of that, and you're still at about two-thirds the price of a new one. Wow. I can't imagine flying a, a Skylane. Did you say it was a Skylane? It's a 182 Skylane. Yeah. I can't imagine flying a Skylane with canards. That's that's amazing. i gotta I got to find a picture of that now. It, it looks funny, but... Uh, they say that it'll do, uh, I think, in like 400-foot type takeoff uh, distances. Wow. That's incredible. That's impressive. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Four, 400 feet, huh? 400, well, I mean, maybe just one person, but uh, very short. Yeah, it's got uh, the, the droop wings. It's got the um, uh, vortex generators, uh, more power, and uh, I don't recall. I think they even have some tire mods if you need uh like Tundra tires, is still a tricycle gear, but with uh, large main gear. Interesting. See That's if you can find a picture. If I can find a picture, I'll put one on the website because it, it is kind of funny looking, but you know, it, it serves a purpose, I guess. That actually reminds me of, of another airplane that I saw at Oshkosh um, this year. I was just kind of walking along and and started looking at it, thinking, "What in the heck is that?" And uh, it turned out it was I, I think it's from a company called Pacific Aerospace, and it's called a P750 X Stall. And I I think this company is from Down Under. Um, I think it's an Australian company. But this this airplane is is large, and it's a turbine um, driven airplane. It's a turboprop, single engine. 
And um, it, it sort of looked interesting because of how large it was and because it had um, it had tetrahedral in the wings. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> so, so, um, just for the for those of uh, normal people who don't know what that is, <laughs> I shouldn't know what that is. I think I I think I remember that from my model airplane days. But a dihedral is very common in uh, general aviation aircraft in most aircraft. It's where the wings kind of angle up; they're not flat across, and it helps to give stability and you know that sort of thing. Tetrahedral is where the wings actually. Uh, go out a certain distance and then they, they angle up, um, you know, midway in the wing or some, some distance out from the root of the wing. So the wing is actually, um, not a straight wing. It, it kind of goes out and has an angle and then angles up. And it's very, very, um, uncommon to see that in an airplane, especially in an airplane this big. Um, I think sometimes you might see it in gliders and that sort of thing, but, um, but that caught my eye. And then the fact that it had a the 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 wing itself was just a big fat wing. I mean, it looked like it it looked like this thing could fly at thirty miles an hour, even though I think it was about a ten thousand pound airplane. But um, is it is it like a is it like a tapered wing or like uh, I don't know like a Hershey bar wing or something? Is it just no? A- it's it's more like a Hershey bar. It's not it's not tapered much. It's just a big fat like a it, the um, the cross section of the wing reminds me of a uh, maybe a Piper Cub. You know, it's just a real, okay. real, real high lift wing. And then added on top of that, it has this tetrahedral shape to it. And um, so I, I kind of stopped, and the guy came up and started giving us some information about it. And um, I, I don't remember all of the um, specs on it, but I, I believe it was a, a thousand horsepower um, turbine. Uh, turboprop engine and um the way they had it configured i think it held 12 people plus the the crew and the thing was obviously designed for short takeoff and landing um and even so i mean with that big fat wing and you know the tetrahedral and all that obviously it's not going to fly as fast as other as other airplanes with that type of power plant in it but they were still getting, I think, cruise speeds of somewhere. Don't quote me on this because I don't have it in front of me, but I'm remembering somewhere in the vicinity of 160 to 170 knots cruise. But they could take off in about 200 feet. <laughs> Holy. They call those helicopters, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, no kidding. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was a really, it was a really interesting airplane. So maybe we should find uh, some actual information about it and uh, a picture or two to throw up on the show notes for this. But, but uh, I was actually walking along. I think I was with Kent, actually, and uh, walking along. We both kind of went, what in the heck is that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was interesting to talk to those guys. And I mean, it's just stuff like that. You're just not going to see that anywhere else <laughs> other than Oshkosh, you know. So twelve people—that's that's about the size. Is that a little bit bigger than a Pilatus? Yeah, it was bigger than a Pilatus. Um, it was probably about the size of uh, a small King Air, one of the small huh. King Airs. Okay. I don't think it was above twelve thousand five hundred pounds, though. I think it was—I uh, think it was under that, maybe nine thousand, something like that. The useful load on this thing was out of this world too. Actually the useful load was higher than the empty weight of the airplane. It carried more than the airplane weighed. 
Wow, nice. I, I do I do remember that. Yeah. Was it on float? Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I would imagine somebody's probably going to do that. <laughs> it had a big cargo pod underneath as well. I'm kind of thinking of like a, a brand new, oddly shaped grand caravan right now. Is kind of the in, uh, image you have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love I love the grand caravan. I think that's a cool airplane. Uh, this was this was, I think, a little bit bigger than that. Well, very cool. Yeah, so don't quote, don't quote me on those numbers. We can look it up, but it was something like that. I do remember, though, that it carried more weight than it weighed. <laughs> that was very cool. <laughs> well, since it's the first year Stu's going to be there next year, what's your advice for him going in? Oh, boy. Um, my advice would be um, don't don't be too rigid on what you want to see. Go with your eyes wide open but without any preconceptions. And uh, make sure that you're hooking up with um, people that you know and, uh, you know, just enjoy it. I mean, it's really I, – I know that there's people that, you know, plan every moment that they're there, but I don't know how that works out. For <laughs> I know that the people I know that have tried that, it hasn't ever worked out very very well. Um, obviously, you know, before you go, there's going to be a lot of press about some of the big attractions that will be there. And if there's some of those things that you know you want to do, yeah, I mean, put them on your short list. But I wouldn't try and plan out everything because it's just not going to work out. So just go with the flow and enjoy it. I would also recommend, um, personally, I would recommend um, camping on site. Um, and the reason I say that, I know, I know, Stu, you had a different experience and you probably enjoyed that just as much. But um, I, I really, I really like being completely um, – you know, engulfed in the atmosphere uh, 24-7. Um, it, it's cool being awakened by a Ford tri-motor or um, a, a Bell helicopter or, you know, something like that. It's cool to wake up and, and kind of grin in your sleeping bag as you, you know, you hear the airplane starting to take off. I mean, it's just, it's an immersive experience, and I think being on site helps with that immersion. Oh, that sounds very awesome. Uh, I may have a little trouble convincing my wife not to pre-plan everything. <laughs> but uh, definitely. Oh, man, yes. Let's go. Why is Oshkosh only once a year? That's my question. <laughs> well, there is sun and fun. Yes, there is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, did you serve on any of the volunteer roles or do anything? It doesn't sound like you had time to even think about that. Uh, no, um, I didn't. I didn't this year. I mean, I, I talked a little bit about beforehand doing that, but uh, my schedule actually got a little tweaked because of my work. I ended up having to uh, show up later than I was expecting because I had to uh, I had to be somewhere else in the country for work um, that Tuesday of, of Oshkosh. So uh, my schedule got a little bit tweaked. Um, so that didn't work out for me. But uh, I would definitely consider that in the future. Um, I guess the... Um, you know the only the only uh, uh, official um, um, thing that I did while there was uh, something that you participated in for the first time, and that was the uh, Potapalooza on EAA Radio, where all the uh, new media podcasters for aviation kind of gather together and and uh, do a show on on uh, EAA Radio while we're there. 
I was fortunate enough to sit between you and Steve Tupper, and and that's an experience I won't soon forget. <laughs> yeah, a lot of great guys. And was it was well, it a positive experience? <laughs> oh, oh, very much. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where you have to keep picking your job from the floor. It's not whatever. Yeah, it's, whenever someone says that's an experience I won't soon forget, it it never sounds positive to me. I don't know why. But I, <laughs> let's just say that a lot of what uh, the show went on that Steve was uh, conducting that didn't quite make the air. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> uh, as funny as he is on on uh, his podcast, he's even funnier in person. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. He, he sounds like he's holding back on his podcast. I think all <laughs> a lot, a lot of good. A lot of good guys involved in aviation and a lot of good guys involved in aviation new media. So it's uh, – and gals. It's uh, it's great. Well, one of the other first-timers that I uh, had a chance to meet was Mark Clubber from uh, Airpig. Yeah. He was on one of our recent podcasts as well. His, his campsite was uh, just a stone's throw from where we were camping. Uh, he's one of those other uh, good friends I'd never met before. But uh, it was great to actually meet him face-to-face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did he ever get his uh, airplane built? No, uh, it just time and uh, and money just kept him from completing that. So uh, he's he's still determined to get it. And next year he is going to fly it there. Uh, oh, okay, good. I actually I forgot to ask him about that. Um, I, I was hoping that he wasn't going to give up on the project completely. So no, I think it was really that they're uh, between get, finishing the project, getting it inspected, and flying off the initial hours. There just wasn't going to be enough days left before Air Venture. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, we talked earlier about, uh, trying to overplan the trip and, uh, and, you know, have a very rigid schedule. One person that has been pretty successful at planning out his trip seemed to be Max Trescott. He, he always seemed to know exactly where he was going to be and when he's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of, he had a lot of book signings and stuff to do. You know, I think, I think one of the, uh, the busiest or two of the busiest people, it seems, uh, at, Oshkosh this year were uh, the uh, Will and Rico who are uh, producing the film A Pilot Story. Man, those guys were constantly heading, rushing off to uh, go to this, you know, big event and that big event. They were hobnobbing with all the, you know, the big boys. Um, they even, at one point, they were seen in a shirt and tie at Oshkosh, which, you know, it just doesn't seem to go, you know, go with Oshkosh, but, uh, but yeah, they were, and they were always going somewhere. So, and the way I heard it, Will was in a shirt, tie, and flip flops. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple of the other people that I saw that were really busy were the guys from Shade and Brian. It seemed like everywhere I turned, they were there, and it just I hadn't had a chance to meet them before, and uh, I was just amazed how how nice they were. I mean, I'd heard about the product, and you know, I've always been impressed by what it was but until you try a pair on you, you don't really know what those uh, sunglasses yeah, are. yeah they're great Stu, if you are familiar the, the shade makes some of the best sunglasses i've ever seen in my life and um well i'm in, in fact i'm in need of a pair actually very badly well have i got a deal for you <laughs> i actually talked to brian earlier this week and he has set up a uh, promotion code for us so that any of our listeners that want to get a 30 percent discount can get one uh if they uh put in a code that will be on our website, you can get 30% off on any of their products and even multiple uh, pairs if you need them. 
but uh, I, I haven't ordered mine yet. I've got to go see the optometrist to get the prescription uh, set first, but uh, I can't wait to get a pair of those on. Yeah, not only were, was Brian and his team everywhere, but those Shaden shades were everywhere, <laughs> especially especially with all the new media folks. Everywhere I turned, somebody had those on, and uh, I'd be walking around, and I'd run into you know one of those guys, and I'd go, hey, great shades, because I, I have a pair. I, I bought a pair, I think, back in February, and then got another pair because they were so great, and then I bought a pair for my wife. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. We're, I hope you were using a promo code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're they're great, and uh, you know, it's a family affair for us now. So um, we've all well, got them. Well, I'm definitely gonna wife, have to. I'm definitely gonna have to get a pair if everyone's gonna be wearing them there next year. <laughs> oh, you'll <laughs> feel underdressed without them. I, yeah. I did. Yeah, that's right. They have, uh, my wife has the, uh, fixed gear style, which does not flip up because she doesn't, she doesn't really need that. But, uh, but I've got the, uh, uh, both of the pair that I use, um, different styles with different glass in them. They, uh, they're the, uh, the flip up kind. So you can actually flip them up out of the way when you want to look inside the cockpit or, you know, uh, something like that and then flip them back down when you're looking outside. It's, it's very handy in a lot of situations, actually. But the one thing that I have noticed, and I actually talked to a few other people that own them, when they're flipped up, it tends to freak our wives out a little. They say it looks funny, but you know, <laughs> I, I think can look cool. That. Well, my wife always my wife always says I look funny, so it's not going to be that big of a problem. <laughs> Is it just your wife? Uh, maybe some close relatives also, but. Yeah, no, they're they're great. They're uh, the frames are titanium. I mean, really, really nice stuff. Uh, glass lenses. They have a new. Did you try, uh, Stu? Did you try on their new uh, their new styles? Uh, I tried on the Sonomas. Those are the ones I I'm going to be getting. Oh yeah, right. I, I have a pair of those. Um, but they have new styles now. I think they call them hybrids, uh, which um, sort of give the more sport look, but uh, turn into a wire in the back. Um, so that they still work well under headsets, but uh, kind of a, a more um, sport-looking uh, style instead of just the wire frames. Well, I don't really have that issue. I've been using the Clarity Aloft headset that doesn't have uh, ear cups. It's just a, a wire frame around the uh, back of the head with the mic boom. How do you like them? Uh, I actually do like them. You have to have the right ears. Um, I, I have a couple of friends that have flown with them and just couldn't stand them. But if your ears fit the little uh, earpieces just right, they, they seal better uh, than anything else I've had. Uh, they don't have uh, active noise cancellation, but you don't need it if they oh, you don't they need them. Good, you don't need them. Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, I use canal phones for listening to audio, um, some high-end headphones um, that use the same tips that, you know, go into the ear canal, and they're, they're better isolating than active noise reduction. I, I really... It, it like the fit and just the lightweight. Um, your head doesn't get sweaty. On the, and being in Phoenix, you probably have the same problem as we do here. But uh, it's just a lot cooler, particularly if you yeah. got a little bit of uh, ventilation going through the cabin. No, I've been I've been intrigued by those. Uh, I went to their booth at Oshkosh and uh, tried on a pair, and uh, they seemed they seemed uh, they seemed really nice. Well, I tried three or four different ones. We have a great pilot shop. Uh, in Addison that uh, I go to, and they'll let you try out different headsets uh, to pick which ones you like. And uh, after the Telex, uh, the 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 light speed, it wasn't the Zulus, it was the older model, and the David Clarks, uh, which I did buy a pair of David Clarks, but I used the uh, the Clarities most of the time. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I've got a, I've got the, uh, the, uh, Lightspeed 33Gs right now, which is probably the pair you tried on. But that, uh, trade up to the Zulu has been tempting me for the last year, so I don't know what'll happen, but, uh. Well, if I get another over the ear, um, it would be a tough choice between the Bose X and the uh, the Zulus. I like them both, but they're totally different. I have yeah, decided, they, are, they are totally different. I have decided that I am going to be purchasing the Zulus, without a doubt. They, yeah, uh, between the Bose and the Zulus, my preference is is for the the Zulus, um, mainly because um, the the Bose are really a on the ear um, ear cup. And the Zulus fit over the ear, and that to me is more comfortable. Not to mention the Zulus have more features like Bluetooth connectivity and so on. Yeah, the Bluetooth is nice. I liked everything better about the Zulus, except they seem to have a little more clamping and um, they seem to weigh just a little bit more. And I thought on a uh, long cross yeah. country that might become a little uh, less comfortable. Well, yeah, that's, prob- that's probably true, but the Zulus, you know, uh, the, the headband is, is metal. So um, I talked to uh, one of their reps. Uh, last year and this year, and he said that uh, the, if the clamping pressure is too much, um, you can literally uh, bend them out to reduce the clamping pressure or bend them back in to increase it if they get worn out over time. I'll tell you, I have uh, the – currently I'm using the David Clark X11, and uh, some of, they're lightweight. They're extremely lightweight, but that, that I think that just makes them more brittle. I kind of wish there was some metal you know joints on those X11s. Duct tape. Yeah, well, there was duct tape <laughs> on my headset there for a while. Yeah, that's, definitely. That's the true sign of a CFI, actually. Yeah, duct tape. Yeah, it, it, go, it matches. It matches our Cessnas with the duct tape doors and everything. <laughs> you know, Stu. Uh, the other thing that we didn't really uh, talk about yet is um, some of the new handheld um, devices that were released. Uh, Bendix King from Honeywell. Uh, released and showed at the show their new uh, Aviator Ace, which is uh, a tablet-style, um, you know, uh, GPS and uh, electronic flight bag type device um, to go, you know, in their Aviator line along with their smaller ones. And um, uh, it looks like a pretty pretty promising device for, um, you know, they're they're always competing. Um, with uh, Garmin, obviously, who's the big elephant in the room, and um, all of their all of their devices are much much cheaper than Garmin's. Um, so that's kind of where they win some of their business, I think, is that they, uh, I mean, probably about half the price for a tablet style uh, for a tablet style uh, competitor to the six ninety six. Ah, uh, yet again, something else to spend money on. Uh, that. That's something that's on my uh, my to do list also is to is to find the way to invest in something with uh, the, the in cockpit weather whether the Bendix King or the uh, one of the Garmin solutions just something that uh, gives you that ability to to monitor weather while en route. You know, I mean, it's incredible to have that in the uh, in the air, but uh, you kind of have to be flying quite a bit and uh, probably flying in in inclement weather quite a bit to to justify that. Right. Correct. And just a reminder to all the pilots out there, you must be familiar with all available information to your flight. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Good point. Just saying. <laughs> get the weather. Get the weather before you take off. That's all. But, well, yeah. hopefully, ho- hopefully next year. Um, by the way, the the plane. This is an interesting factoid. The plane that uh, 
that I reserved uh, to possibly take to Oshkosh next year actually went to Oshkosh this year uh, with another pilot in my club. Um, and I found out, I talked to him a little bit before, and we never got a chance to hook up while we were there. And he actually flew it into uh, Appleton, I believe, um, instead of uh, into Osh. Um, but um, but we never got a chance to hook up while there. But we've reconnected since he's gotten back. And what I didn't realize beforehand is that he is uh, not an, inst- uh, an instrument-rated pilot yet. And so <clears throat> I asked him, uh, how that went. He said actually that, um, he didn't run into any bad weather along the whole route. So, uh, it worked out really well. I think he had another pilot, um, someone in his family who was also with him. So that helped. Um, and, um, so I, I found that interesting. Um, I thought I would probably never attempt that until I had my, my instrument rating just in case I, you know, needed to get through some, uh, some ceilings or something. But, uh, um, I'm hoping by next year that I'll have my instrument rating. I'm not sure when I'm going to start, but uh, I am hoping that I'll have that completed by, by Oshkosh next year. So we'll see. Oh, you'll have to keep me posted on your training. That's pretty cool. If you have any questions, just send me a tweet. I'll see if I can answer them for you. Will do. <laughs> I've always got questions. <laughs> so so I bought my, uh, I bought my uh, instrument pilot's handbook um, that I've started reading. I bought that while I was at Osh. So uh, well, that's a, a great way to, to start. I, I had the FAA books, but I found that uh, Rob Machado's books were a, a lot more interesting and funny, but they also had uh, more in-depth information. Uh, in fact, I had a chance to talk with Rob a little bit while we were in Osh, and uh, he managed to give me a copy of his latest one, the Instrument uh, Flying Handbook or Pilot's Handbook, I believe it is. And I think that's a terrific book. It's uh, it's fairly thick. It's like a phone book, but it, it's some terrific information. Oh, that's great. That's the one I bought was Rod Machado's. Um, Last year, um, it's another interesting fact, but it's from Osho 8, not Osho 9. Um, last year, I went to um, Rod's presentation, which I don't know. Did you make it to that, Stu, this year? It was on my to-do list, and I just never made it there. Yeah. Well, it's incredible, and it's always jam-packed. I mean, just overflowing. You know, and he's got the biggest pavilion there, and it's always overflowing. I mean, the guy's just a great speaker. Um but uh, I went to that last year, and he started doing some giveaways at the end. And I actually won the hardcover uh, signed book uh, from him because I was the the most newly minted private pilot. And you know, as I was telling the story earlier, I literally got it um, while Oshkosh had already started. So um, so when I got there, he kind of went around the room and said, "Who's gotten?" They're private most recently. And I was so happy. I won this great, you know, hardcover book. It was signed by Rod and, uh, you know, it was great. I went by and talked to him later. But I was a little disappointed that what he gave me was the private pilot <laughs> handbook. And I remember, I remember thinking, well, I just finished this. How about the instrument one? But, uh, but nevertheless, I'm glad I have that book and, uh, I bought his, uh, instrument one this time. So, um, I'm going to go through that and and then uh, start my training at some point. So, Well, Rod's book's definitely a good place to start. Uh, I had the chance to talk to him for a few minutes about accelerated CFI programs, which is something I'm thinking about uh, for the future. And he hooked me up with some folks there at the show that uh, offer a program for CFI and I on an accelerated program up to basically a 10-day course. And uh, I'm looking forward to looking into that more, and I'll fill the podcast in on that as uh, things develop. Yeah, I'm pretty intrigued by those programs as well. There's several of them out there, and I've I've started to look into those. Um, actually, that's a great question. Uh, maybe we can 
cover that really quick on air, uh, CFI Stu. Um, what do you know about those accelerated, um, you know, 10 day kind of two week programs for, uh, instrument rating and what are, what are your feelings about it? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked me because I actually specialize in those. Um, the, uh, uh, the quickest I've ever gotten someone through their instrument rating was in 11 days. 11 days from day one instrument to their check ride. And um, it can be done. It takes a lot of studying. If you can fly every day, the faster you get it done. But it's, uh, I would say instrument flying, the big thing about instrument flying is memorizing the procedures. I think it's, because you already know how to fly an airplane, I would say the hardest part about instrument flying is procedures. When to get the weather, when to write down a clearance, when to, you know, configure the airplane for landing, when to intercept, you know, when are you established on a localizer, when this, when that. And um, once you memorize the step-by-step procedures for flying um, for, for from takeoff to landing, uh, it all just it, it all just makes sense. The, the best flights I've ever been on were instrument flights. I've flown to Florida and to Chicago from the DFW area. Um, in solid IMC, and um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and uh, um, yeah, you, you're going to really enjoy it once you get it. Did you, um, in that accelerated training that you've done, did you uh, make extensive use of simulators? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, and it's somewhere around like 14 hours, 14, 15 hours can be done in the trainer. So we, I like to spend all that training time, the, right when you start, we knock out all the trainer time right off the bat, and we'll do BAI, basic attitude instrument flying first. Make sure you can hold your altitude and heading using the instruments, and then um, start working on the procedures, copy down clearances, shooting approaches, making sure you can do everything in the training device or the simulator first before you get on an airplane. And this can be very, very frustrating to pilots, especially private pilots who have maybe around you know, close to 200 hours for a private, uh, because they're so used to flying their airplane. The, the training devices are, are FA approved and they're, they're usually very sensitive to, uh, the, the instruments are very sensitive. So it's really hard to hold your altitude. And a lot of, a lot of people get very frustrated with the training devices and, um, it's designed that way on purpose, uh, to help develop a scan. So the training device is going to help develop a scan between your, your instrumentation. So when you get to the airplane, you can focus on your procedures and reading your approach plates, and you won't have to focus so much on your BAI, your holding your altitude and your heading. So if you can get through that, <laughs> you'll be golden. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like I've never actually done any training um, in a trainer, um, but I'm actually looking forward to it because it seems like it would be a – um, I, I guess the best way I could put it is high concentration of learning uh, for the amount of time you spend. So. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a lot of high uh, high density training, is what I like to call it. Yeah, yeah. In your area, since there's not a lot of actual weather to fly in, um, it, it gives you a little bit more you know, realism in the sense that you don't get those odd cues through the side of the hood. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, out out here in uh, the Phoenix area, we we either have weather that uh is, you know, uh cavu or nobody's flying in it. You know, it's thunderstorms and, you know, that sort of thing. Um so yeah, getting just a nice overcast day where you can um, you know, get some actual IMC, yeah, it's not 
it doesn't happen out here much. <laughs> yeah, and then another thing I recommend is um, trying to do your instrument training in uh, not in the summer. Do it in kind of cooler weather uh, because being under the hood a lot. I, I, if I had a dollar for every time. Say no more. Yeah. Has thro- has <laughs> I know exactly up, what you mean. Yeah, it's thrown up on me in the heat because they're covered in sweat in an unair-conditioned airplane. They can't see out, and they're experiencing some of those aeromedical factors. And then, <laughs> and then I'm experiencing their aeromedical factor in a bag. So. <laughs> you should get danger pay for that. Yeah, danger pay, right. <laughs> Doesn't your feet doesn't your feet double if they throw up on you? Isn't that how it works? Oh man, I wish. If that were the case, we would be doing spin training every day. But <laughs> I don't know. There's some things even money isn't worth. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely not worth it. Well, Bill, we thank you for uh, joining us, and uh, again, I really enjoyed uh, actually meeting you at Oshkosh this year. And I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. And I'm going to say I'm going to enjoy meeting you at Oshkosh next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Bill, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, sure, yeah. I can I can be found over at uh, studentpilotcast.com, uh, simply www.studentpilotcast.com. And that is uh, a podcast uh, about learning to fly, where I basically uh, learn to fly in front of the world. And um, I can also be found on Twitter, twitter.com slash billwill. That's B-I-L-L-W-I-L. Two L's and then one. Well, great. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pilot's Journey podcast. We'd love to hear your questions, suggestions, or experiences, and you can reach us at our website, www.pilotsjourneypodcast.com, or you can leave us voicemail at 469 277 2359. You can also follow me as Pilot Stu, that's S-T-U, on Twitter or MyTransponder.com. And you can reach me on Twitter or MyTransponder as CFI Stu, S-T-E-W. And until next time, go fly and enjoy the journey. Please note that this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own qualified flight instructor before attempting anything discussed in this podcast. Copyright 2009, Fully Stewed Productions.